The purpose of management is very simple. It is not to make money. Making money is a byproduct. The purpose of management is, is to discern the will of God for the organization, populate the organization with the people who are supposed to be in the organization, and then execute the value proposition that God has defined for the organization for his glory. That's really what it's all about. I've just summarized it really quickly. But here's in the exercise, it's just a series of statements here that I contend reflect biblical thinking about leadership and management. And it asks you to consider how you live, not what you think, but how you live, and, how, and whether or not you live in the reality of these statements. So I'm just going to read them and, and quickly comment on them and let you score yourself on a score, a scale of zero to 10. Zero means, no, I totally disagree. 10 is I totally agree. And if it's something in between, you can use uh, the analog scale, some number in between to represent your degree of agreement. So the first one, in the beginning, God implies that both individual purpose and organizational purpose are divinely ordained. Hopefully you understand that in the beginning, God is an inescapable reality of everything. Anytime you hear the word secular, you're hearing a lie. There's no such thing as secular. There is rebellion, but rebellion doesn't separate anything from God. It simply distorts truth. That's what Adam and Eve did. They didn't separate themselves from God. They rejected their role of being son and a daughter of the Most High God living in relationship with him. They rejected that, but they're, they're still under the sovereign hand of God. In the beginning, God. That's the starting point for everything. My, I think I told you the story. My phys, first physics professor, when I first started my physics program, he walks in the very first day. There's 500 students in the class. Half of them are engineers. Half of them are scientists in our majors. And he walks in, and the very first thing he says is given F equal to MA. That was his starting point. Now, I knew enough about Christianity then to say, wait a minute, that's not the right starting point. That's not where everything starts. That's one of Newton's laws, Newton's second law. But, you know, the starting point is God. He created it all. He defined it all. You're talking about somebody, Isaac Newton, who discovered something have what God created. That's what he did. But you have, you've lopped off in your introductory comments the truth. I never got the truth, the whole truth, in my whole career of science. All the courses I took, all the, the you know, homework assignments, the research, all that I ever did, I never was told the truth. It was always distorted. See, we've got to be very clear. This is true. Uh, this is true. Your individual life, your family, of whatever Christian community you're part of, your work life, the public policy, the society you're in, it's true of everything. You've got to begin with God. So you, hopefully you're clear on that. That's what holism is. And FYI, dispens well, I've been recent days, I've been looking at dispensationalism again. Carol and I were trained in dispensationalism, you know, growing up. And we always had questions about it that we never could get satisfied with. And now we're looking at it again afresh through a new book that's been written called The Rise and Fall of Dispensationalism. It's been eye-opening for us as we've gone through this book, and we see 
uh, it was very dualistic, fundamentally dualistic. And when you lop off God into and put him only into spiritual reality and you disconnect him from physical reality, you you get what we have today. Where people are not seeing themselves or the organizations that they're part of in the context of this truth in the beginning God. Once you lop off in the beginning God, then you are disconnected from reality. You are humanistic. It doesn't matter how long you've been to church, whether or not you're a church leader, how much Bible you know, you're a humanist. You're living under your own set of rules. You're not living aligned with God. So that's this is huge. Get this. This will change everything in your life if you really, really get it. Okay, next, organizations exist to help mankind fulfill the creation mandate in the context of the meta-narrative. We are still under the creation mandate. That is really the great commission of mankind. We have greatly been distorted in our thinking because of this false idea of evangelism, the way we understand it. We, we've been taught evangelism is the great commission. And the text that's used doesn't even talk about evangelism. Matthew 28, which is the clearest expression of the discipleship mandate, is used to justify world evangelism. It says nothing about world evangelism. It talks about discipleship. Evangelism, at best, is only part of discipleship. So what you have at best there is a truncated view of discipleship and a distorted view of what what God wants discipleship mandate to do. So we've got to get clear. Creation mandate, we're here to be God's ruling agents. We're blessed to do that. We're blessed to multiply, which is why abortion is so wrong. It's denying the blessing of God in, in part. And we do this in the context of God's great story. There is a meta narrative going on. It is, these aren't random events. This isn't just human ideas. This has got orchestrating events, and he's created each one of us and the organizations we're part of to play a role in this story. And we're obligated to discern that role and play it. The specific will of God, this is the third one, refers to the purpose of God for individuals and organizations in the meta-narrative. God has a very specific will for every person and every organization. It's not do whatever you want to do. It's not make it up. It's not live your best life now and you get to define it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is living aligned with the will and the ways of the creator, and he's very specific. Next thing is the driving agenda is in every decision is to discern the will of God. That should be, always be the question. God always has a will, and any question in life, you're asking, what is the will of God? The next one, the, a predicate for success is individual and organizational congruence with the meta narrative. Individual and organizational congruence with the meta narrative. Now, that's uh, what congruence means is alignment. So, what it's saying is God is so strategic that for any organization to have success, the individuals within it have to be doing what they're called to do and be successful at what they're called to do. And then that facilitates organizational success. I don't know if I've ever, ever met anyone, any leader in any context, including local churches, that understood this. 
this is this is just a foreign concept, but this is how a strategic God works. Everything is worked according to the counsel of his will. That's what Ephesians 1.11 says. We can cite that verse, but we don't really get it. We don't really understand what it's saying. This is what it's saying. I would contend. The, the organization should be profitable. The similar motive should be obedience to the will and ways of God. That's always got to be the agenda. Um, typically, my clients really struggle with this because money, we're, we're driven by a sea of mammon worship. It's all about money. Even in our Christian communities, it's about the money. So, yeah, the idolatry that we're, we're living in is if we ever could separate from it for a while and really get into a, a really covenant community, thinking and living biblically for a season, and then would come back into where we're living now, we would probably just be shocked. We'd probably say, how could I have ever lived this way? This is so pagan. It is so idolatrous. It is so out of line. But that's where we are. We are lukewarm, largely, and we've been we've been kind of immune to seeing the folly and the, the rebellion that is all around us. And we're part of it. Next one, sin impairs individual and organizational alignment with the will and ways of God. I hope we're very clear on that. Uh, I have never been in any business that uses the word sin. When I have brought that word up in organizations, I get pushback. People don't want to talk about sin in organizations. If you're not going to talk about sin in organizations, you're in big time unreality. Because there's sin all about that organization. It is riddled with sin. The opposition of vir- in virtually every area is sin. And so how could you not talk about sin? Well, it's very easy. We've been duped. We've been duped by the spirit of Antichrist. We bought, we've drunk the Kool-Aid and we bought into it. So one of the things I do when I go in, into organizations, as soon as I possibly can, I start talking about sin. And it's normally not well received, but it does give me an opportunity to talk about it. And there are a few clients that are beginning to recognize they've got to face this, but they don't like it. The general will of God, as I've used it here in this teaching, refers to the values, principles, and practices that emanate from a Christian worldview. My thesis is, in the beginning, God tells me that everything in life begins with God. That means all problems in life are rooted in bad thinking about God. So I I have the model that's in the teaching that theology derives philosophy, philosophy system of thinking. Philosophy drives your value system. Value system defines your principles. Principles then guide your practices and practices lead to results. So you can see how theology winds up producing tangible results. The intangible produces the tangible. The spiritual drives the physical. Okay. And the the root issues drive the symptoms. So when you see that, you realize it does not matter what the problem is. It can be a marriage problem, a parenting problem, a performance problem. It doesn't matter what it is. Ultimately, the source of the problem is bad theology. If you want to solve the problem, you have to go back to 
the root. You've got to go back and try to identify the bad theological thinking and correct it with truth. And that will change everything. If you work on the symptom level, which we all tend to do, it never really solves the problem. My daughter, my youngest daughter, the one that had the car problem this morning that was calling me before some of you got on the call. I was dealing with her, trying to help her jumpstart a battery. She is a social worker, uh, and she's been that for 20 years. Uh, early in her career, she figured out something. She figured out that most Christian counseling did not work. And I said, well, tell me why you think that way. She said, well, what I have seen of it is they don't work on the root issues. She said, if you don't help somebody you know, go through transformation, you don't change anything. You can put a Band-Aid on it. You can maybe, you know, co- a coping skill, but you can't really solve the problem. You have to get back to transformation. And she says, that's what I, I try to do. I know if I can't get back to that level, I really can't help anyone very well. So I'm looking for the patients that I can go back to that level. I thought, wow, you're thinking very soundly, very theologically soundly about this. And that's probably one of the reasons she's had the career she's had. She's had a very successful career as a social worker. And and she's been very disappointed at the Christian world because she's she's seen very, very poor counseling in the Christian world. That was that's her perspective. I'm not an expert in that area. I'm just reporting to you what she has given me. It's congruent with what I would expect to see. What I've seen, I, I, I teach at a, a Christian school, and there are there's counseling classes there, and I've met some of the teachers of those counseling classes, and I've talked to them a little bit. And uh, I've been amazed at how weak they are theologically and how they, they sit stuck on the symptoms. Uh, now, I've never really tried to engage them seriously because they've never been open to theological conversation. They look at me, and they just think, you, you know, you're just, you're just too hung up with theology. That's kind of the way they look at me. It's too hung up with that. That's, it's not that important. You know, we can help people. We can help them figure out how to work, how to live their lives better. And so they never, never seem to get it. So I, I, that's my experience. And it's totally congruent with what my daughter, who's a professional in the field, is telling me as well. Sin management is essential because it's really difficult to be a perfect hiring agent where you always make the right hiring choices. It's almost impossible. You will make mistakes. And when you make a mistake, the way one of the ways you'll know it is you will have somebody you can't disciple. And if you can't disciple them, the only other thing you can do is manage their sin until you can replace them. But ultimately, you want to replace them. Now, I don't know how long you hold them. That's up to the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in that organization. But you're always going to have to have some level of sin management. You are not seeking to do it, but you have to do it to to deal with what will happen. We're in a fallen world. The organizations will reflect that. And managers have got to learn how to manage sin and identify the people that need to be replaced and replace them in in God's timing. Big challenge. Obeying God is more important than money. Hopefully you can recognize that as a no-brainer, but again, very hard to do because money is the big deal. And the first thing you start hearing is, well, you have to make money. If you can't make money, you go out of business. Yeah, you think God doesn't know that? 
I mean, that's like, that's a no-brainer. That's, that's a ridiculous conversation. What you've got to do is get real about what's important. And you're making the, you're making money the idol. And until you start worshiping God correctly in whatever you're doing and everything you're doing, you're going to be worshiping some kind of idol in your life. And that will lead to death, destruction, chaos, and non-fruitfulness. And if you abide in Christ, you will be fruitful.